One of the big rubs there with him and my mother was education. My mother wanted us to all go to high school, mm -hmm. and he did not believe it. He said, they're all going to be farmers anyway. This is the Real Food, Real People podcast. This week's episode is easily the most personal conversation I've had here on this podcast. And while it's not my story directly, it's a big part of my family's heritage. My 90-year-old grandfather sat down with me and shared his life farming, growing up on a, a farm, his parents divorcing, you know, living through times of war, raising a family. He covers a lot, and he brings out some details that I didn't even know about my family's history. Our guest this week is Lawrence Honkoop. My grandpa, retired dairy farmer who farmed for 45 years on his small farm in the town I still live in, Linden, Washington. My name is Dylan Honkoop, and this is the Real Food, Real People podcast, documenting my journeys all over Washington State to get to know the real people behind our food. And this week brings me back home to my own family's farming story. I hope that you enjoy it. How did you make the decision to retire? You've been farming for a lot of years. Yep. But what was the process of calling it quit? You can't just pull the plug on a dairy farm. Like there's a lot of moving pieces. Well, I sold my cows at the Everson uh, auction barn mm -hmm. and uh, they brought good money. And it was, it was probably time to quit. 45 years is enough. It's a lot of mornings of getting up early. Yes, it is. But I had a lot of good help with four boys <laughs> and a wife to do the the milk equipment. Yeah, how did that go on a on an average? What was the routine? When did you get up in the morning and and five thirty? What, what did you all have to do to five thirty? Five thirty is when you milked or when you woke up? Got up, yeah. Got up five thirty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how soon were you milking? Oh, within twenty minutes or so. And <laughs> get out to the barn and right. The cows are ready to, to be milked. They're they're waiting at the gate. Yeah. They, they want that grain that's in there <laughs> waiting for them. <laughs> and what? Turn the vacuum pump on, plug everything together, sure, and bring all, them in. Yeah, it's all ready to go. Well, we had a pipeline at the you know the last 15 years. Explain what that means, a pipeline. What is that? That's where the milk goes directly from the udder up the hose and into the pipeline, and the pipeline takes and puts it in the tank. And you didn't have that before that. What was the system before that? I was milking in with buckets. Really? Yeah. And you had to dump the bucket uh, that the milk the cow produced, and you had these carrying pails. And while the cows are being, I only ran two units, and so I dumped the milk while the machines are on, and come back and boy that pipeline that was the best thing that I ever did. <laughs> I couldn't even believe it. We got done milking. I wasn't even tired. How much did that change what you were able to do with the farm? It didn't change much. Like, were you able to add cows or anything? No, no, not really. I, I don't think 50 cows is a, a good limit. And that's how you were milking milking 50 cows, or you had total 50 cows between dry and milking? Yeah, total. And yeah, yeah. You always have some dry cows. So you'd be milking 40? 45, 40, yeah. 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 How did you get started dairy farming? Let, I, let's go jump way back to when this all started. I really didn't want a dairy farm. 
Really? Uh, Bev and I uh, came home from the Air Force. I think about two days later, a realtor stopped me on the street and said, Lawrence, come here. I want to talk to you. I got the perfect deal for you. And he had this place that's we're on right now, lock, stock, and barrel, $42,000. Wow. And uh, I really didn't want to farm. I wanted to work in parts at John Deere. That was hmm. kind of what I liked to do. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, uh, that's the way it turned out. Well, and you, I know you had talked to me in the past before. You had also thought about being a, a journalist or a broadcaster, too, as well, right? Well, when I was in high school, I wrote for the Lennon High School paper. Mm -hmm. uh, it's called The Lion's Tale. So that interested you at that time. You thought maybe yeah, you could do that. Writing came kind of easily. Yeah. yeah. Well, would you have been a sports reporter or something? Yeah, probably. With your love of sports? Probably. So what, what did you, right out of high school, you went into? No, no, I went over to Washington State College for a semester. And then it was after that that were you drafted or did you enlist into the I, I enlisted instead of getting drafted. I did not want to go over to Korea. The Korean mm. War had broke out. Right. And so uh, I enlisted in the Air Force. And what did you do in the Air Force? How, how did that progress? Well, the, the first, first thing when I arrived at Lackland Air Force Base, this drill instructor come out there and he put us into a formation, and he said, any of you guys had ROTC or National Guard? And there was a kid from Blaine by the name of Marlon Kagey who had National Guard, and I told him I had ROTC. Yeah. So he put me up there as the right guide, and I knew all the commands because of the ROTC at Washington State. And uh, he made me, uh, you know, his assistant a little bit for about well, two or three weeks, and there was a real shortage of drill instructors at that mm. time at Shepherd Air Force Base. And uh, I found out years later that we were right on the verge of World War III. Uh, and so anyway, that's why the Air mm. Force is recruiting so many people. And so they made— Yeah, what, what was the mentality at that time? I mean, the world had just come through World War II, which had to have seemed like— is this the, you know, is this going to be the apocalypse or how bad is this going to get before it was over? Yeah. I what don't, what I was don't. going through people's mind? What was going through your mind at that time? I was 20 years old. I wasn't worried about things like that. I just took it day by day. So you became a drill instructor. Yep. What does it take to be a drill instructor? Uh, dr drill instructors have a real reputation, if I'm not mistaken, of being very by the book. That's true. Because you're, you know, teaching people how to... March, March and drill, and yeah, yeah, all the kind of basics that they need to know right. as they're coming in. Yeah, we had to teach them how to make their beds a certain way and and uh, yeah, keep themselves clean, be on time. We had a I had a regular schedule every day. Uh, I had to have them at the chow hall for certain times and classes. Uh, I had a whole full day from four thirty in the morning till five o'clock at night. Go go go! Yeah yeah yeah. It was interesting. And uh, very regimented. Yes, yes. Fortunately, I had a good voice and it carried and uh, worked out real well. What was it like being a farm kid there, far from home? War is going on. You know, you're in the military and here you are, uh, a kid that just grew up on the farm out here in Linden. Well, like I say, you were, we were very young 
and you just took it day by day. Yeah. I I will tell you this, that to have troops perform well and good is to praise them. Uh, Too many drill instructors are always chewing and giving them the dickens and stuff, Mm. and that don't work. I, I believed in praising them. Yes, sir. But you probably pushed them pretty hard, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But we won a lot of uh, inspections. Uh, they inspect every day. Mm-hmm. And the by an officer comes through with a sergeant with him, and they grade your barracks every day. I, I went in the 2nd of October, 1950. Mm-hmm. And the Korean War broke out the 25th of uh, June of 1950. And like I say, I didn't want to get drafted. I enlisted right. here for My brother Garrett went in the Army, and uh, I actually was down at the skate rink with my good friend Chuck Bailey, and, and he said, uh, uh, Han Coop, he says, uh, let's go in the Navy. They got a buddy policy. We can go in together. We'll stay together for four years. And I said, Chuck, I'm scared to death of water, and I, I'm sorry I, I have no— so he went in with Rod Lyle, and they did. They stayed together for four years in the wow. Navy. Chuck was on the uh, carrier uh, Coral Sea for three, three and a half to four years. Did did anybody from around here that you knew uh, go into the Air Force with you? No. Uh, like I say, Marlon Kagey from Blaine was... Uh, got on the bus in Bellingham when there was a uh, Ray Spaulding from Bellingham and a uh, Milo Golden. Milo Golden was also with us. Mm. And, and then when Mount Vernon, we picked up re- uh, recruits and, and Everett, we picked up recruits. And then we got into Seattle and uh, they put us up in the YMCA there mm. overnight. And the next day we were on the train all the way to Los Angeles, California. Again, wow. we we stopped in San Francisco or Portland, Oregon, picked up troops, picked up troops in uh, California. Yeah. So you talked about getting out of the service and coming back to Linden. Why were you getting out of the service at that time? Was that because the war was over or what, was that, what, 1953 or? Oh, I got married. We got, Bev and I got married in 53. I was stationed at Hamilton Field then. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were there for three or four months, and mm-hmm. and uh, Mr. President Eisenhower brought the Korean War to a halt. That's when he ran on his election. Mm-hmm. He said, I'm going to bring the Korean War to an end, mm-hmm. and which he did. Mm-hmm. He's true to his word. We got out early. I So I spent three years, two months, and 14 days. I, I counted the days to get out. Yeah. Yeah. So what was it like coming home after being away doing that? Oh, I don't know. Like I say, uh, there was a realtor (laughs) nailed me walking across the street there. That was on the south side of Front Street in Lennon. (laughs) And uh, so he knew me, uh, and that's why he nailed me walking on the street. He said, come in here, Lawrence. I got the perfect farm for you. Lock, stock, and barrel. Don't have to buy a thing. Yeah, this is in January. So what what does lock what did lock stock and barrel include at that time? It had cows, everything, barn. cows, machinery, everything. Yeah, even a wheelbarrow and, <laughs> and a little old John Deere M tractor. Wow. Yeah. And why why was that farm this farm where we are and where you know you dairied so many years and my dad grew up and I spent a lot of my growing up time. Why Why was this farm in that situation at that time? That farmer had left or? No, I'll tell you. That's quite a story. 
uh, Ray Landers was the guy mm-hmm. that we bought out, and he lost his first wife quite young, not real young. I, I don't mm-hmm. know the history. Yeah. But anyway, he went back to Holland. He was from Holland, and he met this lady over there by the name of Petronella. Hmm. And uh, he married her, and he brought her to the United States here. And she did not like it here, hmm. and she wanted to go back to Holland. So they went back to Holland, and that's why he put the farm up for sale. So how quick did you decide to buy it? I mean, that that's a big decision to make. That's true. That's true. Uh, I don't know. Did you, you and Grandma have to sit down then and say, well, do we want to do this? <laughs> I don't, I don't really don't know. I really didn't want to farm right away. Like I say, I wanted to try out some other things. Right. And uh, but anyway, uh, uh, Snapper was uh, the realtor, mm. and uh, he said, "Bring your brother Tony out. Have him look at these cows." This is in January, February. Your brother Tony was also in dairy farming, right? Not at that time. Oh, really? And. Uh, uh, anyway, uh, I brought him out here, and we opened up that long side door, and he looked there, and he stepped back, and he said, Lawrence, these are really good cows. Mm. And I found out years later they all came out of Carnation bloodlines. and uh, Down by Good Seattle. bloodlines. Yeah, yeah, Carnation Farms. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he could— he was a cow man. He could, right, right. He could, My brother Tony, he had a good eye for cows. And he was four years older than me, and we were very close. He was kind of my mentor. Mm-hmm. Uh, we played catch all the time and basketball up in the barn. And, you know, great brother, great brother. So he said, this is a good deal. You should do it. Yeah, well, he didn't tell me what to do, but yeah. he, he said these, these cows. He said, there's one thing you're going to have to remember. Twice a day, you got to milk them. <laughs> <laughs> and that you did for 45 years. Yeah, yeah. but, I, but I had some real good milkers. Yeah. Four boys that really yeah. could milk cows. But there were lots of things that you were still able to do even on that schedule, right? Lots of ball games and oh, yeah. going to eastern Washington to get fruit and yeah, yeah. Here and there where you could fit it in, <laughs> the busy farm schedule. Yeah, yeah. How many cows did you have at that time when you started? 31. Mm. Yeah, there was uh, 32 stanches in the whole barn, mm. and there was one open stanchion. So basically, didn't quite double the herd from the time you started. Yeah, until- yeah, yeah, yeah. But also, uh, heifers came with it, calves, there was all, all there, right? Who was farming it at that time? Was the previous owner, Lander, still yeah, here? Right, right. And he, you know, like I say, his wife wanted to go back to Holland. and So uh, when you bought, then he was free to right, make right, that. Right. He had a, he had a house. Or, see, he, uh, for quite a few years, he farmed it out on shares with uh, people that he would bring from Holland. How much did the farm really change? How you farmed? from when you started till when you retired in the late 90s? Well, I would say the way I farmed was quite different uh, because I quit uh, making silage and hay and went to buy an alfalfa mm. and pastured the whole farm. So why did you do that? Well, on peat ground, and there's of the 40-acre farm, 38, 37, 38 acres of peat ground. It's wet and damp. You can't make hay. You can't get it dry. And when you make silage, uh, you got to make it early, and they cut up the fields, and you get stuck with the tractors. 
And so I decided just to let the cows go out and free choice, pasture the farm and buy hay from Eastern Washington alfalfa. That's when we started to make a little money. And and so that was kind of the formula that you developed and then stuck with it? Yep, 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 yep. What did other people say about that at that time? Because people were starting to move away from pasturing at that time, right? Well... Or was that later? There was certain amount of quite a bit of silage being made and then they make second cutting hay but if you got well-drained ground and stuff like where i grew up on the river bottom that works out pretty good yeah but the speed ground is just too soft and so the cows produced they liked that that like, alfalfa from eastern washington that was right absolutely right they were very very happy with it i just opened the gate and let them run over the whole farm i didn't uh, rotate fields or anything really and they're happy if you rotate fields after a day, they want a new five-acre field. <laughs> and Beller, and, and so yeah. I thought, I'll fix that. I just opened up all the gates and let them run, and boy, they were happy, and I was happy. So did you have to go traipsing all the way to the very back of the farm every milking to bring them in? No, you just called them. Really? And if you fed them a good amount of grain, that's what they're there for. They love <laughs> grain. Yeah, so they, but there were times that I had to go out, and, and yeah. Mom and I would go out and pick up fresh cows. I mean, a cow that calved mm-hmm. in the calf uh, in the calf box in the field. Yeah, how often would that happen where they'd give birth out in the field versus in the barn? Well, during pasturing season, that'd be yeah. six months out of the year, yeah. about six and six. Yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's amazing how animals are very intelligent that way. They usually go off at the corner of a field and and birth. How much alfalfa hay did you have to have to make it through a winter? 300, over 300 ton. Really? Yeah. Because yeah. that's what I remember as a kid going up into the hay mow of your barn. Mm-hmm. And there was so, I mean, it would be right up to the very rafters up to the, yep. almost the peak of the barn. Yep. That's yep. a lot of hay. Yep. All over your head where the calves and cows and milking barn and everything was down below. Yep. 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 Right. Yeah, about 320 ton. And I remember sometimes you would go to Eastern Washington, too, to, to scout that hay, to look at well, what was... Yeah, that was mainly just to, to get away from the farm. Larry Hake was a great salesman for Hawksburg and Hay, mm-hmm. and uh, we would go over to Eastern Washington and then look at the fields and whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were very good to me. Do you remember where where the fields were that you would get your hay from, what part of the state? I I liked the hay that came from Othello, okay, and uh, the other one uh, uh, close to the Vantage Bridge. You take a right at mm-hmm. the you go over the river there, yep. and head toward uh, the Tri Cities, yep, and uh, that is real good soft hay, mm. yeah. And that would all get trucked over here and brought up into the barn, yeah, yeah. And then how did how did you feed that out of the out of that hay mow all winter long? How did you you have to every day take bales down sure twice a day i tripped those slides i built those slides there for them yeah let's see four slides three 12 12 bales to the feeding about so that'd be about 24 bales a day that'll keep you in shape yeah yeah for those around it was good for me and good for the cows good for everybody (laughs) (laughs) what was it like once you had kids and kids and sports and everything life was busy and, and keeping the farm going that was that's a lot of stuff I mean, you had five kids, my dad included. Yeah. Busy times. Yeah. Everybody had their jobs. Cindy didn't see the barn. Uh, she, she was in the house with mom. She's, <laughs> but no, those four boys, I'll tell you, they had, they had their jobs. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. What did, what did they all do? Well, the, the, the oldest one, Barry and Rand, picked pies a lot. And then uh, Lonnie liked equipment. He, I could tell right away he liked tractors, and he still does with working for EB over there. Mm-hmm. And he did a lot of the blading. Uh, Randy and Barry picked the pies. Rick fed the calves. He was the youngest. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. You know, they all pitched in and worked. They're, they're never, none of the boys were ever scared of work. And managed to fit in football and baseball and oh, basketball yeah. practice and everything in there, too. Certainly, certainly. I, <laughs> I had my opportunity to play it, so, so should they. Yeah, and they were good at it. Yeah, talk about that. Growing up, what was that like for you? You you mentioned you grew up near the Nooksack River. Yep. Talk about what your farm was like at that time. When well, you it was down kid. there halfway between Leonard and Eversill, the Timon Road. Mm-hmm. And uh, we lived, our farm was practically on the banks of the Nooksack River. And, uh, yeah, great ground, great ground. In fact, I think that's river bottom ground is the best ground there is. How big was the farm? How many? 40 acres. 40 acres. 40 acres. And how many cows? Oh, uh, when I was a kid growing up, about 25 cows. That was kind of the, the, the norm in those days. It was 40 acres and 25 cows. You didn't buy no hay or nothing. You bought grain. About grain, but yeah. otherwise you raised all your own feed. Yep, 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 yep. How were farms able to support a whole family then with just 25 cows at that time? How, how did that work? Well, how did it work for your family at least? I don't know because I was the youngest. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that uh, uh, my parents would go to town on Saturday afternoon and get groceries for the whole week, and then they never went to town again. You just didn't go to coffee shops. <laughs> uh, in fact, uh, if people that went to the coffee shops were considered no good farmers. Really? No, because you got to spend your time on the farm. You can't be spending your time drinking coffee in town. So they went to town once a week, and the rest of the time they were on the farm. That's right. And yeah. working most of the time. They went to church, church on uh, Sunday. And that's it. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. it was farming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was a whole different ball game then, buddy. And how many siblings did you have? Well, I had uh, four brothers and uh, two sisters. Yeah. So big family. Yeah. yeah. And you were talking about your brother, Tony. Yeah. And he, he was probably your closest sibling, right? No, Garrett was. Yeah. So you, you were pretty close with Garrett then as well. Well, yeah, but Garrett was a farmer. I, I could tell that right from the get-go. Yeah. He, Tony farmed though too, right? Oh, yeah, in different places. Yeah. He, he'd buy a farm and then turn around and f- three or four years later sell it and make some money. He, he was a money man. He, yeah. He knew his business. And, and then he mentored you as you brought your farm on and, and kind of yeah. taught you the ropes or? Yeah, I don't know. But when you grow up on a farm, I knew how to milk cows. Yeah. I milked cows by hand, in fact, uh, before we got milk machines. Yeah. We didn't get milk machines until 1946 because during World War II, you couldn't get any kind of equipment, period. You couldn't get tractors or nothing. So we had horses. We we farmed with the horses that are down there in the, in the Tymon Road area. Really? All right. How many horses? Two. Two horses, and yeah. you'd do what with those? Plow, bring in the hay, yeah. everything. Yeah. yeah, queen and prince. Yeah. <laughs> what a lot of work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And milk by hand. Until until we got milk machines yeah. in, in 1946. How long does it take to milk a cow by hand like that? Oh, 
I, I never had a watch. <laughs> I didn't have a watch till I graduated from high school. <laughs> so you don't even know. No. Seems like it would take a long time to milk. Well, Dylan, some cows milk way faster than others. Hmm. And my mother milked two, three or four cows herself. Hmm. Everybody had their, I know I had two to milk and really? Tony and Garrett had about three and Tony more. The older kids milk more. Yeah. Tony though, he, he, like you said, he was kind of an entrepreneur and he was doing this, that, and the other thing, but he passed away. Yep. Right. That was in the 33 50s? years old, 1960. What happened? Well, him and his wife, Pauline, were heading to Bellingham on Saturday night. And uh, there was a big semi there at West Main and guide. And the headlights were facing toward Canada. And the big old uh, the semi part was coming around the, the corner. And the semi got lodged up against the big light pole there. This is the first time uh, this driver had ever been in this area. Mm-hmm. And he was supposed to went further north and hit the Badger Road down there instead of on West Main. And uh, Pauline was left with three little children. Mm. So they were just coming down the road and couldn't see the trailer right across the road. And, yeah, there was no reflectors uh, or anything on that big part of the semi. And he crashed into the side of it. Fortunately, that semi was on an angle. And because I talked to Egbert Moss a couple days later, because mm-hmm. I, I saw the car and uh, it was a mess. It was a total mess. I, we couldn't believe that Paulie walked out of that car. So and that's why it, because it hit at an angle, it killed him, yep. but not Right. Her. It slid down to the back wheels. Yeah. What was that like getting that phone call that your brother, your mentor, well, had passed? I'm going to tell you, Bev and I were at a movie in Bellingham on Saturday night. We liked to get away from the farm. And uh, when we got home, the babysitter said, Lawrence, you got to call uh, uh, the Grace Baptist preacher. I can't think of his mm. name right now. And so I called him, and he said, Lawrence, I got some bad news for you, mm. very sad news. Your brother Tony was killed last night. And uh, that was that was tough to take, tough to take. Yeah, thirty three years old. Yeah, right, right in the prime of life. And you were in the middle of busy farming time, little kids, and what you had four yeah. kids already by that point, and yeah. your farm was growing. And yeah, nineteen sixty. I know one one year at least you were you won an award, even outstanding young farmer or something. That's what, correct. What was that all about? Well, well, how did you do that? It wasn't just me. Uh, the JCs in Lennon, they called the Lennon JCs, every year would pick an outstanding farmer. That was part of the farm days that they had in Lennon here. And uh, apparently, they had the JCs people got together and said, "Hey, we got to find somebody a good outstanding young farmer." And uh, apparently, there were some businesses in Lennon that, to put in a good word for Bav and I and. <laughs> They said, okay, we'll make him an outstanding young farmer. Well, you were doing some kind of outside-the-box thinking, though, at that time. Weren't you trying to be innovative in in how you farmed? Yeah, I don't think I was pasturing the whole farm yet at that time, but I was buying a certain amount of hay. Yeah. Just every year would buy more and more. Yeah. Uh, The cows love that alfalfa. And, you know, if you got happy cows, you got good production. What was it like after all the kids grew up and were out of the house? You were still farming. You didn't have all those farmhands living right here to, to help out anymore. Well, 
I always felt if they're happy, then, then, then I'm happy. Yeah. Yeah. You got to do what you like to do. Yeah. So it, it wasn't like you had any expectation no. for your kids that no. they would continue no. the farm. No, no, no. I wanted them to do what they wanted to do. When you are farming and producing milk, how much would it, how much was it on your mind that you were making food for people? I know that that's a big deal for a lot of people. They want to know about farmers and do farmers actually care about the food that they're producing for people to eat or drink in the case of milk. I mean, that, that had to cross your mind that, you know, something that you're producing, it's a perishable product that somebody's going to eat. You got to keep it clean and healthy and, and all of that. Did that ever cross your mind? As you're milking out there in the barn? Well, we had milk inspectors. Yeah. And uh, you had to keep everything up to snuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I read Horns Dairyman. I I got Horns Dairyman for years. And uh, there was a writer there by the name of D.W. Bates from University of Minnesota, I think it was. And uh, he gave great advice, uh, you know, how to build buildings and all that stuff. That was, you can always learn. Mm-hmm. That, that was the key. Or you, and like I said, I wanted the kids to do what they liked to do. So after all those years and, and you hadn't wanted to farm, did you end up enjoying it? What, what, what part of it did you really enjoy? What was your favorite part of having a farm? Um, <laughs> I, I like milk and I, uh, I like cows. I like the feel of the cows. They're nice and warm and uh, they, uh, I, I never had too many problems with them, you know, kicking or anything like that. Right. Yeah. You got to treat them right. You got to treat them right. And I remember you always had good music playing in the milking barn yep. too. Uh, actually, uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, not only did I like the music, but it muffles a lot of the sounds. It may spook the cows. Mm. You know, all of a sudden a big truck come by with loud t- pipes or whatever, <laughs> and that music dulls that out, and the cow yeah. that won't scare the cows. Keeps things calm. Yep. And- Yep. soothing yeah and i like raising the calves i really like the calves yeah is there a certain kind of music that the cows like the best no no i don't think so. i always played country music <laughs> <laughs> so what, what what were what was the what were the best songs on the on the radio while you were milking i don't know johnny cash had that one you know i walked the line and uh, i don't know there's you know so this stuff was on the radio at that time. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Were you always a big fan of Johnny Cash? Oh, not. He just came on with that big song, you know, I Walked the Line, and then he just kept gaining ground after that. Well, what did you think of him when you first heard him? Oh, I told told Mom that, <laughs> who's that two-bit singer? <laughs> Johnny Cash. That Johnny Cash. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, and then you ended up really enjoying his music. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and 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 Mom and I went to see him a, a time or two up in Can up at the PNA. Oh, really? Yeah, he performed up there, Vancouver. Yeah. What's the of all the country music? Because I know you you love country music. I remember I I bring this up just because that's my image of remembering back when you were milking cows and and coming in to see you in the barn and the music would be playing and the you could hear the milk machines working and you'd just be working away in there. It's kind of warm, like you said, with the cows being in there, kind of yeah. warming it up, even in the winter time. Yeah. What's your What was your favorite singer to listen to in there? Well, Hank Williams, Hank Williams Sr. The be all end all. Yeah. The, the, the number yeah. one. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was milking cows for Denny Lankar, who was my cousin down there on the Slotomaker Road, and yeah. right next door, close to me. Yeah. And uh, we would listen to the Grand Old Opry. Prince Albert sponsored that every Saturday night. And uh, they brought Hank Williams in to sing. Guest of Roy Acoff. Roy Acoff was a, they had a honcho. And he sang Lovesick Blues, and they brought him back six times. And that was a record at the Grand Ole Opry. Six encores? Six encores. I personally, there are people that dispute that, but I, I personally, uh, yes, I was mixing grain for Denny Lankar in, in the big grain box, and uh, Roy Acoff introduced Hank Williams. And he sang, and he, they brought him back. I caught him six times. <laughs> that was something else. I would imagine there would be a lot of big events that you would have heard on the radio or in the paper here on the farm over the years, you know? I was at Methodist Youth Camp when, mm. I, when I was in the fifth grade. Uh, when we brought, dropped the atomic bomb on uh, Hiro- Hiroshima. Yeah. And... Uh, the, the head honcho pe- uh, preacher down there, Deception Pass, called us all into the uh, meeting room. Mm-hmm. And he told uh, all of us kids down there uh, the amount of dynamite, TNT, that was in that one atomic bomb. And I knew about TNT because I saw my Uncle Corny blow stumps uh, close to our neighborhood down there. So that meant something to you? That meant, I, I, it was just mind-boggling. Yeah, very interesting. War is terrible. More recently, you've gotten really involved. Well, and I think even back when my dad was a kid, you were involved with education and sports, and you served on the school board. Yep. That's always been very important to you. Yep, 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 yep. I just know over the years you've you've instilled into me an appreciation for education and, and strong community and kids having things to do, including athletics, and you're a big sports fan. Yep. When did you really, I mean, does that go back to when you were a kid? Yeah. That was something for you to do other than just be on the farm. That's true. I would imagine. That's true. I enjoyed sports. I, I liked the camaraderie of playing with kids your own age and stuff. Like in the, in the old days when I was in the seventh, eighth grade, uh, uh, on Sunday afternoon we would gather at the grade school grounds and and me and my friends would, you know, play a little football there, touch football, and play a little hit hit the baseball or softball around. Yeah. yeah. It's fun. It's fun being around kids. So what sports did you play in school? Well, football and yeah. basketball and baseball and track. Four sports. Yeah. How yeah. did you do baseball and track? Were baseball and track at the same time yep. in the spring we, like they are now? We were very, very fortunate. Uh, Ferndale uh, put up lights. And they had their track meets at night. And then we could play baseball. Our game started at 3.30 in the afternoon. School got out at 3.30. <laughs> we started, you know, soon afterward. Right. And then when the game was over, then we'd go over to Ferndale under the lights and do the track. Because <laughs> that, that would start at 7 o'clock, 7.30. Wow. Yeah. Albert Eisen was a track coach, and he, he drove the little bus or whatever it was <laughs> over there for the track. You weren't expected to be back on the farm working? No, I was uh, 16, 17 years old. I had no desire to milk cows. <laughs> I'd rather play ball. <laughs> uh, I just know some kids in the past would, you know, their folks would curtail their, you know, 
sports and athletic endeavors because they needed to get back and work on the farm. That wasn't the case for you? No. I had older brothers to do that. <laughs> yeah. My my mother wasn't too pleased that I would come home. I had to walk home from the gym. That was about three and a half, four miles. And sometimes I didn't get home till six thirty, seven o'clock and all the chores were done and everything and we'd have supper. Yeah. Mom always had uh, supper around six o'clock, six thirty, seven o'clock. That's a long day and a long walk after doing turnout to get home. Yeah, but I got a lot of rides. There was a, yeah. a veterinarian at Everson, uh, Doctor Reeves, R E E V E S, and uh, he worked. Uh, he was the meat inspector at DeYoung Pack, mm. and if I could get out on that stick down the road. He'd pick me up, of course. He'd give me a ride home. <laughs> you'd see him driving by, and he'd stop oh, and pick you yeah, up? Yeah, yeah. Oh, he was a great guy. So great there was guy. a meat packing house here he, at he that time? De Young Pack on uh, Cock Road there. Okay. It was there for years. And then they closed up, and, and then they moved to Ferndale. That's something that we need in our community now is, a, is more meat packing plants, especially USDA approved, so we can produce more meat here. Was there a lot of beef? being grown here or was it cold cows it was dairy dairy beef yeah dairy beef yep 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 what else was was dairy kind of the biggest thing back then too like like it is here now yeah there was very few beef cattle there you're starting to see quite a few angus black angus out Mm -hmm. now what else was being farmed back when you were a kid or even when you were starting farming i mean right Red raspberries and blueberries are a big thing now, but that wasn't even nope, nope, on the nope, nope. ticket were, then. There was maybe a uh, Fritzburg over there uh, where E.W. Leonard lived. He had raspberries, but there was a lot of strawberries. Yeah. Uh, when the Missourians came out here, they had strawberry. O.L. Sheets is the one that started that. So who were the Missourians? The Sheets, but the, Sheet, the Mayberries that are so may, famous Mayberries here now. And Bales, B-A-L-E-S. Hmm. Oh, yeah, Bales. So those are all families that had come out from Missouri. Yeah, 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 Van Buren. But before they came out, strawberries weren't a big thing either. No. Interesting. No, no. no. What about, I, I know poultry, my other grandpa, when he was young, drove a lot of truck hauling chickens and eggs, and yep. there was a, and, and there are an awful lot of old chicken coop buildings still around here on farms. I've got to tell you, back when I was a kid growing up, it was a 40-acre farm, 25, 20 cows, 500 mm. chickens, and uh, really? you, you had a multi-purpose farm in those days. You raised all your, your food for their cows, corn and kale and beets, and uh, you didn't buy hay or anything. So why didn't you farm that way? Oh, I don't know. Why didn't you have chickens? And I know? didn't like chickens. I, we had to clean the chicken <laughs> coops every Saturday. I didn't like the smell Yeah, chickens. Yeah, cows smell, though, too. Oh, yeah, but they're nice and smooth <laughs> and slick. Yeah, yeah it, it's, it's interesting because it was that time when you were starting to farm that the, the style of farming was changing from that yep. more subsistence farm where yep. you had the cows and the garden and some crops and chickens. Yep. What about hogs? Did people have pigs around yep, here too? Yep, yep. Uh, most, uh, like where I grew up, almost everybody had two hogs, and and they were great garbage. You know, you you give them all the anything. all the fresh milk, the the first you know three or four milkings, it's colostrum, and mm-hmm. you had to get rid of that, and so you just dumped it in the hog trough, and boy, they love that stuff. My, all these spoiled fruits and vegetables and all that stuff too. Oh yes, yeah they. 
what was it like then? I mean, there was that style of farming when you were a kid and there was the farming that you did as you set out on your own and you started this farm here. And then to watch your son, like my dad continued farming and his younger brother, Lonnie, was farming and didn't own his own farm, but he was in farming. My uncle Rick, Lonnie's younger brother yet, the youngest yeah. boy, yeah. before Aunt Cindy, was a farmer as well. What was it like to watch your children then go on and farm and, and even different crops and different styles of farming yet? Well, I was very proud of them because they did a good job. I, I liked the way that uh, they cultivated between the rows of raspberries. In fact, I did quite a bit of that for Rick over there. Yeah. And I did a lot of rototilling for Randy the one year that he did custom uh, work. Uh, he was chewing up sod for the guys planting peas and stuff. There was a three or four years there when peas were a big crop here in the county. Mm -hmm. yeah. In fact, when I was a kid, cherries was a big thing. Really? We had a large orchard and down on the Tymon Road there. Uh, Van Berkham lives on there now. And uh, there was a huge uh, Huge orchard. What would you do with them? Uh, take them to kill cannery. They wanted them bad. So they're canned yeah, cherries. Yeah, yeah. They pay you so much a pound, and uh, then they would pay us so much a pound too. My sisters, uh, uh, Lena especially, she she was trying to earn money to go to college, mm -hmm. and uh, she was picking cherries there. And the cannery was in town in Everson. Uh, in fact, it's right across the railroad tracks there. It, you can yep. when you drive through Everson, it's it's to the south of Main Street there. Yep, different time cherries yeah. to imagine that now, and that is such a big crop over in Eastern Washington. Yeah. But nobody grows cherries commercially here. There's just a few trees here and there that people, yeah. you know, will grab a few cherries off of, and that's about it. But you gotta remember that the reason that everybody had some cherry trees was you didn't have the money to buy groceries or mm -hmm. cherries. You canned them. That was our fruit. Mm. My mother canned over a hundred and some quart of cherries, and and mom did too. Bev, your your grandmother, mm -hmm. we'd go Easter Washington and get those Bing cherries and bring them home, and she'd can them. And boy, I'll tell you, they're good. They are good. Well, the grocery store wasn't the same back then as it is now. No. Everyone's used to being able to get everything all the time. Right. Well, you couldn't just get fruit, fresh fruit, whenever you wanted to. Right. Yeah, you're right. So yeah. you had to grow it. Yeah, yeah, you grew your own stuff. Yeah, I I think uh, I know we got all of our uh, butter, cheese, and ice cream delivered by Arden's uh, dairy products in Everson. They had a, a plant there that took their milk. Yeah. So you didn't make that stuff on the farm, make butter and nope. drink nope. milk out of the tank nope. or anything? No. Nope. Nope. Oh, sure, we drank milk out of the tank. We yeah. didn't have tank red cans. Yeah. Yeah. And I think my older brothers would skim off the cream for, <laughs> I, I don't know why, but they did. They would skim off the cream off the top of the, yeah. the can of milk. And they would drink that? No, it they... was for, I don't know what mom used that for. Probably all know. kinds of cooking. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. I remember when margarine came out in World War II because of the shortage of butter. Yeah. And, uh, oh, that was terrible. We, we, we would not eat it. That was a no-no. Oh, my mother had a fit, boy. Yeah. Because, you know, we, we had pancakes every Sunday morning and stuff. No, well, and then for many years, they tried to convince everybody that that was healthier. And now they've come full circle and say, say no, real milk, butter. 
yep. is much better for you. Yeah. Well, there was margarine. a big deal about cholesterol. Right. Things change, and sometimes they come full circle, huh? You better believe it. <laughs> yeah. What advice did you have all your years of farming and watching the evolution of this community and the evolution of farming here in the West? What would your advice be to people growing food now? What do you think has been lost over the years as far as, you know, the values that, that you guys had many years ago growing food? Now you can go to uh, the st- grocery stores yeah. and everything is there. Yeah. You know, celery and carrots and uh, radishes and all that, which were not available when I was a kid. You raised them all in your garden. Mm. And, th- and the reason why then probably is because everybody had a garden. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody had a garden. Well, and did you have a refrigerator in your house? Not until after the war. Really? We, we got our first fridge in uh, 1947. War was over in 45, 46. Or, well, that's going to make a difference on, on fresh produce and milk and all those things as well. We did not have a fridge, like I said, until 47. Uh, we had what they call coolers uh, in, in the kit, in, I don't know, in the one little part of the kitchen there. Yeah. And it had uh, a little vent to the outside where the, the cool air would come in and, and you'd put the, the food in there, I think. Mm. I was too young to understand. I didn't care as long as I had some food <laughs> in my plate. Yeah. But you know, when you're a kid kid growing up, you don't you don't worry about the aesthetics at all. Yeah. As long as you have a bed to sleep in, <laughs> a radio to listen to, yeah. I remember. Oh, so you did have a radio in the house. Oh yes, oh yes. It was. Uh, we listened to old Gigi man up there from CJOR every morning. And and that was the only entertainment you guys had. Radio. There was no. No, that's correct. TV wasn't even a thing yet, right? No, no. no. When did you get your first TV? Oh, well, that was here. <laughs> <laughs> I forget. Uh, oh, uh, we rented when it was World Series time. Uh, I would go down and rent a TV from Baron. Sid Barron, yeah, <laughs> yep. and, uh, and then I'd take it back after the World Series was over. And then eventually you got one yeah. to have all the time. Yeah, yeah, it was not near as nice as this one, you yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so back in the days before TV, it was just gather around the radio. And yeah, Saturday, Saturday night to listen to Grand Old Opry. Yeah. I'll never forget old Hank Williams Sr. He was my favorite singer. And when he would sign off, if he, uh, he had a half an hour section section on that Prince Albert thing. Mm-hmm. And he would say, if the good lords are willing and the creeks don't rise, we'll see you next Saturday night on the Grand Old Opry. <laughs> that was, that's how he would sign off. In those days, it seemed like everybody had to have a certain say. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And, and you really, you, you know, tie that in with a guy. Oh yeah, he he was good. Yeah. But Saturday night, boy, that was. They had a uh, major. It? Oh, and then there was a, a real good program called Major Bows, and that was called Major Bows Amateur Hour. Hmm. And people would come on there and do their thing. <laughs> and I remember listening to Frank Sinatra. He was on Major Bows. You know, he was. 19 yeah. years old wow. and, and uh, people would applaud and they would register that applause and right. stuff. Well, thanks for sharing your story and being willing to do this and all the, you know, I've heard so many stories over the years, but it's good to ask you about them again to be able to remember them and, and share them with other folks as well. 
it's it's the heritage of our family, right? Growing mm-hmm. food and farming and yeah. tending to the animals and land. Yeah. Goes back a long ways yeah. in our do you, do you know how far back farming goes in our family? Way way back probably before anybody can remember. Well, I will say this. My uncle Wren, he never married an old bachelor. And I was named after him, Lawrence. I mm. got this from John Honkoop, my neighbor mm. here, because they knew Wren real well. Mm. And uh, he was the oldest of my dad's family. There was uh, Wren, and then uh, Antone was my dad, and then mm-hmm. Nick and Corny. Uh, those were all my uncles. Now, did your dad come from Holland? Did he Was he oh, born yeah. there? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. My mother was 13 when she came here. My dad, I don't know how old. Mm. So do you know anything about you know, the family, even your grandpa, Honkoop? Was he a farmer? Did he dairy? No, do you know anything no, about him? No. Oh, that was Opa. Yeah. Uh, there was Opu and Opa. Mm-hmm. I knew my mother's dad uh, much more than mm. I never did know my dad's because my dad was out of my life when I was nine years old. What was that like, that shift? Oh, oh, things changed. Yeah. But uh, I was so young. You know, you don't. You know, as long as I go up, he, he didn't believe in sports. One of the big rubs there with him and my mother was education. And he came out and rubbed it into me right here on this farm years later. Really? And uh, my, my mother wanted us to all go to high school. Mm-hmm. And he did not believe it. He said, they're all going to be farmers anyway. Mm. And uh, So that has to be where your appreciation for and the priority that you put on education comes from goes back to your your mother yes that's right yeah she, she was a teacher as well right well, that years later when i graduated from high school in 1948 when i came home she said lawrence now that you're done with your high school i'm going to start getting educated and she went to summer school at western she got yeah. her high school diploma Strictly through correspondence courses. Really? That takes a lot of uh, hard work. Because I remember her uh, writing all these courses and stuff. And uh, she she went into the Linden High School and uh, got her high school degree or whatever Mm -hmm. from uh, uh, Fisher or Isom, one or the other. I don't know. But she got her degree. And like I say, she told me that now that you're done, I'm going to start. And she went to Western, and in three years, she got her four-year diploma. She went all year round. She went to summer school and, and got it. And then very, you know, what a coincidence. I'm home on leave from the Air Force, and I'm on my way back to Shepherd Air Force Base with my new, brand-new Ford convertible. And uh, I took her to her first job in Randall, Washington. Hmm. Yeah, down by Morton. Yeah. And then uh, I stayed overnight at her place, and then the next yeah. day I was— Got in the car and headed back to Shepherd Air Force Base. Huh. Drove back. And then she taught it down in uh, Longview area, too, mm. later on. Because she just, and she had a... a did, did she come back here to Whatcom County later? Oh, yeah. Somehow she had a little deal there at Everson, uh, off of, you take Washington Street down there or whatever, close mm-hmm. to the cannery. And she had a, a yard. She had barley and bring in some sawdust for the kids to play in. And they were preschool. That's the beginning mm. of preschool. They were not six years old yet. Mm. And she just loved teaching those kids. Ken Teasing just told me that his son went to that mm. and just loved her. She was, she was good with those kids. 
but she could not go to school to become a teacher until all you kids were out of the house. Why was that? Because she had to provide for you guys, keep the farm going or what? Yeah, certainly, 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 certainly. Yeah. Yeah. So she was farming basically milking the cows with you and until we got the milk machines. Yeah. She would milk two or three, four cows. Yeah. Bill and Tony Mm -hmm. and all, we all had some to milk. Yeah. Yeah, it took a lot of dedication on her part, but she got to teach eventually, and that really made her feel good. Well, and that would have been, I imagine, incredibly difficult for a single mother then at that time in that era. Yeah, and with an accent. Yeah. See, she had that Dutch accent. Yeah. yeah. So did people look down on her because of that? I don't know that. Hmm. I don't think so. I, I do know that when she divorced my dad, she was on the outs. That was a no-no in the Christian Reformed Church. Because right. they were right. her, there was second Christian Reformed Church, and that was a divorce was a no no. So they said what she couldn't come to church or what? No, we that's when we started the Methodist Church. Mm-hmm. Yeah, our neighbors Nichols said, "Come on, go to the Methodist Church with right. us." Yeah, really. That's when we started there. Yeah, and that would have been in in the Depression, right? Still at that time. No, they got divorced in thirty nine. Okay, thirty eight, so, thirty nine. Yeah. Yep. So about the time World War Two. Just before, as the war was starting in Europe. Yep, yep, yep. And so there she was going into that wartime, 40, yep. 41. But it was when, you know, when Pearl Harbor happened, 42, yep. 40. World War II, single mom with all this craziness going on in the world. But I will say this, and this is, you know, the way it is. When you have war, the prices go up for the dairy farmers because mm. there's a demand for butter and milk. The troops got to have this and that. And, Oh, so yeah. that helps sustain you as a family yep, to yep, pay the bills. Yep, yep. And we went on grade A milk. That really helped because up until before the divorce, we were on uh, factory milk. But then when they got the divorce and the war all coincided together, we took all the wood floors out of the barn and put in cement, called huh. the gravel off the river bar, and hmm. got a hold of Pete Glensey, uh, Bert Glensey's cement mixer. He was from Everson, Nooksack area, and we used a cement mixer to make the cement. What was that like for you at that time? With that happening in your family and your mom having to keep everything going, and I'm sure a lot of work on it. Was that scary? Wondering what what was going to become of your family? And uh, never when you're that young, you don't think about it. You don't think down the road at all. Just do what you right. What's at hand right now? Yeah. But my brother Bill was very good at cement work. Hmm. He uh, did all the trawling. And, you know, when you're put in the gutters and the manger and all that stuff. Yeah. yeah. So he did a lot of that work himself. Bill did, yeah. Where did you get cement from back in those days? There were cement Columbia Valley, around? yeah. Columbia Valley had cement. You get the powder, you mean. Right. Yeah, and we get the gravel oh, so off the mi- river. And you'd mix it yourself. Yeah, we had a cement mixer. Like I say, Glensey yeah. let us use his cement mixer. Yeah, had a lot of work. And boy, we got on grade A. You, you had to have cement floors to get on grade A. Why was that? Cleanliness, mm. a lot of, you know, regs, rules and regs. Mm-hmm. So what was the difference then between grade A and what was the, what had you been producing? What was that called? Uh, factory milk. Mm. And I don't know the difference. I didn't have my head in the milk checks. Right. Mom, my mother got the milk checks. Right. Yeah. She took care right. of all that. See, that's just like my wife here. She takes care of all the money. I, <laughs> as long as I got uh, coffee money at the Dutch Street, that's all I need. <laughs> when did you? You're, you have been going to the Dutch Street 
every day, pretty much, for how long? When did that start? I, I, I never kept track, but I went to the Duke first. Oh, yeah. The Duke was a hangout. That's where uh, Wayne Jones and I and would talk uh, umpiring and stuff, because I umpired with Wayne Jones a lot. So it's to talk about sports and farming and yeah. have a cup of coffee. And yeah. Bob Clay had the, the Duke. Him and okay. Glenn, Glenzy had that. And Bob and I were good friends. So when was that that you started going to the coffee shop? Because you said back when you were a kid, farmers that went to the coffee shop were looked down upon. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's true. So then why did you start going to the coffee shop? Well, new new era, people no, starting to loosen up a little bit and realize you could still farm doing that? Well, Wayne Jones, I think, <laughs> had a lot to do with that. He's a great guy. He was a banker and, and a good umpire. Boy, he was he was tops. Yeah. And Bob Clay, so he was a friend of mine, too. He yep. played softball. He was a great softball player and shooter in basketball. Bob Clay could really shoot the ball. Mm. I met him in City League basketball. Mm. Going to the coffee shop every day and catching up and making it back in time to milk the cows again. Yep. Do it all over again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you again for, for being willing to tell your story. I appreciate it. I know I've asked all kinds of questions, and... You know, some of these stories I've heard before, but like I said, I, I, I want other people to be able to hear these stories too. I try to sometimes when it, when it makes sense, you know, pass along some of the stories, but I usually can't tell them as, as well as you can. And I get some of the details wrong. So, <laughs> well, I tell you, uh, Dylan, you, uh, you've always been a great grandson. Cause I remember you when you was three or four years old and always <laughs> want to sit by me on the Davenport. Yeah. And uh, always like the stories. We, we've had a great relationship. Yeah. yeah I couldn't, I just tickle to death to help you out. This is the real food, real people podcast. These are the stories of the people who grow your food. Well, as I'm sure you can tell, this week's conversation was super special to me, and I hope you enjoyed hearing some of my family's history and all the, the challenges and things, the, the highs and lows, the challenges and triumphs that my grandfather faced in his years producing food as a small family dairy farmer. Make sure to check out the video of this week's episode. We filmed it right in my grandparents' house right on the farm where he raised my dad and his brothers, my uncles and aunt, and, and the, the place where we went to see grandma and grandpa growing up and had so many Christmases there. And it's still that same place, and you can see it for yourself. Uh, if you check out the video of this week's episode on YouTube, just search Real Food, Real People on YouTube. You can also watch the video on our Facebook page, Real Food, Real People. And you can follow us on Instagram as well, at RFRP underscore podcast. And we're on Twitter with that same handle. Again, my name is Dylan Honkoop. This is the Real Food, Real People podcast, all about reconnecting our communities with the people who grow our food and the history behind it. And uh, sharing my personal reflections on that and my personal story, connecting with so many people all over the state as well. And again, this week was about coming back home and reconnecting with my own family's heritage. Thank you so much for listening. The Real Food, Real People podcast is sponsored in part by Save Family Farming, giving a voice to Washington's farm families. Find them online at savefamilyfarming.org. And by Dairy Farmers of Washington, supporting Washington dairy farmers, connecting consumers to agriculture, and inspiring the desire for local dairy. Find out more at wadairy.org.